Hey, this is Sean Donovan, and you're listening to the guys at Send Central. Our guys are going into games knowing there's a way, and that's just our philosophy. It didn't matter last year. There's a way. We don't know what it is sometimes, but there's a way. Hello and welcome to episode number 25 of Making Sense of the Sens. I'm Ross Levitan. Alongside me, Brandon Piller. What's up, guys? And Chris Parliament. Happy quarter century, Mark, gentlemen. Pretty appropriate that the 25th episode, the Chris Neal episode of the podcast, comes right after a battle of Ontario. The Ottawa Senators doubling up their provincial rivals by a score of 6-3, to three, which salvaged an otherwise underwhelming week. They started out getting their captain back, but being shut out by the Vancouver Canucks, a score of three to nothing there. I will shout out Thomas Vanek. Slap shots on breakaways, one of the coolest plays in hockey. Um, Then an overtime loss that we'll go into in a little greater detail, we think could have been avoided or at least prolonged. Uh, Coaching decision that we don't really agree with there. But we'll start with that big rivalry game. What stood out to you most against that game against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday, Chris? Well, it was just the buy-in up and down the lineup, and we were talking about it before the game. You've got a guy like Smitty on the bench, Boro on the bench, and these guys are grit guys, and we've all grown up watching it. We just brought it up, the Chris Neal or the Big Z versions of the Battle of Ontario, and you always know that even with these young kids coming up and the Ottawa team not really looking the same as they used to, that this is going to just be a gritty performance. The building's going to be alive. Everything's going to be happening. So I just loved the buy-in, and... Just the big effort from everyone and next man up mentality, and you really saw it in that one, and always feels good to be the Leafs. Yeah, especially having having, um, gritty guys like Mark Borowiecki and Zach Smith out of the lineup. Uh, You were lying a lot more. Logan Brown finally saw over 10 minutes of ice time and was on the ice for both of the Sens' first two goals. So uh, really was able to kind of carry that momentum into getting some some five-on-five time, which we haven't seen. It's been a lot of sheltered minutes on the power play. Uh, he went head-to-head with Austin Matthews a couple shifts. Uh, I don't think Boucher would have liked to have seen that, but Babcock got the matchup that he wanted there. And I thought he did, looked all right. Uh, what did you think of uh, Logan Brown's game there, Brandon? Yeah, he was good. Um, he was one of those guys who was shoveling away for that first goal. What a what a fourth line goal! And then you got Nate Thompson. He Nate Thompson actually played it right. We were talking about this off air. He was just circling in the high slot, waiting for that puck to come out because you know it's going to come out when you got. I don't even know how many players were there. It was a parking lot. In front yeah, of there that. was easily five guys there just whacking away trying to get it. And Nate Thompson scooped it up and and buried it to get the Sens the one nothing lead. It was a good start. And it ended good too. Boys, this W at home is so important. And I took a little bit of time to look into this because like we saw last year, it was a real real start of the season. There was a lot of home games. And then near the end of the season, down the stretch, games back-to-back nights in different cities, it seemed like they were never at the CTC. And it was tough to watch and tough for the team to play. Eight home games in the first month of the season this year, one of the last five games of the season is at their own barn. And it's hard to put that big of an emphasis on early season games, but they're all worth the same amount of points in the standings. And home ice advantage, it has to get better for these Sens. And last season, who won their division? The lowest out of the teams that won their division was Montreal, and their winning percentage was 59. Ottawa's was 53. And in every case, except for one, the team with the most home wins won their division. 
it's so important and early. It's tough to put that emphasis on it, like I said. But in those last five games of the season, you're looking back at some of these games and saying, would have been nice to put up that two points or even that extra point when you had the chance. Well, that extra point we'll get into now. The the game against the New Jersey Devils. Back and forth game. They go down 2-1. Then score three unanswered. Go up 4-2. Give up the lead. And then Guy Boucher decides to start Pajot, Pyatt, and Cody Ceci in overtime. In three-on-three overtime. And Eric Carlson was standing on the ice, ready to start overtime, and he was pulled off. How does that make any strategic sense? It's three-on-three, and as he said afterwards, he was trying to shut down Kyle Palmieri. A lot of people listening go, who's Kyle Palmieri? Uh, He did have a good game, and he is a pretty good hockey player. But I think he had six shots that night, so he was was pretty effective. He didn't score any of them, but he was was doing well for the Devils. But how is there any excuse not to play Eric Carlson who is tailor-made for three-on-three hockey in overtime you can't say you're saving him for the next shift it's sudden death yeah and it's all about puck possession and who better to have puck possession than Eric Carlson and everyone says that a good defense is the best offense but in overtime if you have the puck in their end in sudden death sure in three-on-three we've gotten pretty used to just end-to-end two-on-one rushes and gets turned the other way. But when you have a guy with that much speed and puck possession ability like Eric Carlson, like you said, Ross, there's really no excuse. No, the good news, at least, if you're a Senators fan, is you don't have to wait long for revenge. Uh, It's kind of a scheduling quirk for the Devils. They actually played their last game, uh, second half of a back-to-back after the game against the Senators. They were shut out 3-0 and haven't played since and won't until the Senators visit them next Friday. Uh, so a full seven days off for the Devils, who uh, may actually need that with Corey Schneider getting hurt in the game against Ottawa. Uh, Keith Kincaid has actually played pretty well for them, uh, to be fair to them. But um, what's interesting to note about all that <laughs> is that the Senators' only road game in until they go to Sweden is that game against the New Jersey Devils. So uh, back to Parliament's point about home games being all that important. Depending on the outcome of tonight, we'll say Monday's game uh, between the Kings and Toronto Maple Leafs, tomorrow's game against the Kings, maybe Ottawa's chance to knock off the only undefeated team in regulation. And Ross, this is going to be a defensive battle between these two teams. The Sens are fifth in goals against average with 19. LA is the top team with only 14 goals allowed. Ottawa is the second penalty kill in the league with a 91.3%. Uh, success on the penalty kill. Guess who's at the top? The Kings are at the top there as well with 92.6%. So this is actually going to be a really good game, especially defensively. This is one of those games where a one nothing OT OT goal could could do it. So I'm excited. And I just want to see how are the Kings doing this? Like I At the start of the season, I think a lot of people had them kind of starting a rebuild after the, all those great uh, glory years they had uh, about five or six years ago. So it'll be nice to see how the Kings are uh, doing it. Yeah, especially it, it's showing their depth too. Jeff Carter had a brutal cut um, just last week and he's going to be out for at least a month. So uh, sends dodging bullet there. Jeff Carter, uh, a consistent threat to score goals. He's got over 10 20-plus goal season, so, uh, but still a dangerous team. They still have Drew Doughty on the back end. Uh, we can call him Drew again, right? It's not Drew Doughty anymore. He, he got it, right? Oh, oh for sure. Um, uh, also, another another spot uh, to look for, 
Brown and Kopitar for the Kings lead the league in plus-minus with plus 11. So Dustin Brown, that's especially a guy that people thought was falling off the the deep end there, but he seems to be doing all right. Yeah, and you, it, we've always known Anze Kopitar is the guy that does everything right on the ice, and you saw it really exemplified in the Olympics when he and his dad kind of took over and were held the spotlight with Team Canada for a while there in the Olympics, and then you saw him again on Team Europe, and just... He does so many good things on the ice, and he's really helped out Jeff Carter's game as well. You mentioned consistent 20-goal score, but this guy's really turned into a two-way player as well. We won't see him in this next game, but yeah, the Kings just have that system where you you got to play well on your own end to play well on the other end, so it's going to be interesting to see for sure. Uh, if you looked at the Senators' practice lines on Monday morning, you might have been a little shocked. Or petrified, depending on how you how Dis- you took disappointed. The, yeah, how you took be the thrown news. in there too. Um, a large part of seeing Burroughs on the top line and Nate Thompson on the second line is due to another injury to the Senators. The bug is continually biting them. Uh, Mark Borowiecki looks like he's on the mend. We'll get into that in a little while. Uh, as well, uh, Zach Smith uh, should be skating by Thursday with contact. So uh, maybe. The next Monday's game against the Montreal Canadiens could be a return date for him. But Bobby Ryan, we mentioned last year, guy needs to drink his milk. The same index finger he broke last year, and it's his sixth hand injury since joining the Ottawa Senators. He missed two games, then one, then two, then three. Uh, So really short periods of time, but he kept re-injuring it. Um, So last February when he broke his right index finger, he missed 11 games. So uh, we should expect to see a a similar length of time, so about a month, 10 or 11 games. Uh, How do you see that role getting filled in this team? Well, first of all, Ross, what, what worries me the most about this Ryan finger injury is even if he comes back, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be that same player. Cause that's a, that's a tough injury to battle through your finger. Like, Especially, it's great that the Liga has cracked down on those those little chippy slashes that happen thousands of times in a game, it almost seems like. But I'm just worried Bobby's not going to come back fully healthy. And it's disappointing because he's been having a nice start to this year. So, as as for what's going to happen in, in the lineup, it's, it's anyone's guess. But what disappoints me the most is that Hoffman is still on that Pajot Pyatt line. I don't mind him on there. When the lineup is full and everybody's healthy, it it seems to work and it's okay. But when you've got guys like Burroughs and Thompson going on the lines with Turris and Brassard, that just disappoints me. you got to give Hoff that shot once those injuries are there. Exactly, and you saw it again against the Leafs. He's got that extra step this season that he's never... He's always been a great shooter and a great goal scorer, but this year, in my eyes at least, he's really stepped up and played the speed game a lot more. We saw even a couple alley-oop passes going over the top to him, and he was breaking in and getting a shot off. So if you've got a guy that can play with that kind of speed, Pajot and Payet kind of play that, I don't know, more of a shutdown two-way role. Give him a chance with a guy like Broussard or Turris that can really start moving the puck. Put him on a line with your best playmakers and give him a shot to shine. That's what I'm That's what I'm saying. It's, it's about time to... L- let the leash off Hoffman's offense. Because the problem is, he's been put on that line because Hoffman doesn't play the best defense. We're all aware of that. But that's okay. That's not the kind of guy he is. I'm I'm thinking if you fully unleash his offense, he's going to explode. Yeah, we've seen it with Kucherov. 
I mean, exactly. he's the same type of player, I would say. Just a lethal shot and gets in kind of those those areas of the ice, those cushions almost between the D and just sets up shop and you give him a shot and it's on and off his stick in a, what seems like a blink of an eye and it's in the back of the net and we've seen it earlier this year. That goal bar down, it, it's incredible to watch him shoot. It just seems it doesn't happen enough and you can't rely on those alley-oop passes that they're giving him to score on the rush. The puck's going to be bouncing, all that kind of stuff. Get him some offensive zone time, let him set up and get his shot off. Let's see what happens. If Hoffman has a, a little bit of time and space anywhere in the blue line, I would say he has a great chance to score. Anywhere. If he gets a clear lane and some time and space, that shot is lethal. If, if The goalie probably won't stop it. The post probably has a better chance of stopping Hoffman's shot. And he has been able to get it off this year's 36 shots at fourth in the National Hockey League. Uh, next man up in terms of all this injuries, Max McCormick, just coming up off a major suspension uh, in the American Hockey League. Pretty greasy stuff went down there between him, Vincent Dunn, and I can't even remember what uh, what other team they were playing. But um, he's been back. He's got three points in Belleville and kind of seems like mini Neil, we called him in training camp. Uh, is this a useless move? I, I'm not really a fan of this move because why reward a guy who's coming off a greasy suspension like that and bring him up like what does that say to all the other players that are grinding in the always hungry league doing things right playing the game right working on their skills and you got buddy max mccormick who's just throwing fists left right and center he's getting suspended from the bench then off his suspension oh good job kid come up to the show like what what message is that sending i i just don't see how he fits into this send system with the players you lost. It's not like it's not like they lost their grinding tough guys, so you got to replace that toughness. They lost Bobby Ryan, while Zach Smith is pretty gritty, but they lost a top six, two top six players, and one of them is definitely not a grinding guy who Max McCormick is filling that void. Uh, the good news is that Boucher never plays a call-up more than seven minutes a game, and if, <laughs> and if he does fight, he'll be in the box. I'm of the mind that it just doesn't make sense to have him on the team if he's going to play especially that little. Yeah, and we talked about it before the show as well. A guy that I would have loved to see come up, and we've talked about how much I'm fond of this kid, but Philip Schlappick. I mean, this is the role to have him come up. Let him play... You just said it, Ross, they never play more than seven minutes. But, I mean, you got to let some guys come up and fill roles where the roles are being emptied. Bobby Ryan has been giving you points. And Philip Schlappick's coming off what people are saying, his best game in Belleville. So let him come up and play. He's confident right now. I just feel like that would have been a lot more... I feel like that move would have made a lot more sense. Yeah, well, McCormick did sign a two-year extension for... God knows why. They gave him a, a one-way deal in the second year of that contract. So um, whether he's up or down, he's going to be making NHL money next year. Uh, I guess they're trying to kind of push him on his way and 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 help him be the best player that uh, Max McCormick can be, whatever effective that is. Um, Colin White was skating with the Senators today, uh, wearing a contact jersey, so that's good news. He's five weeks in. Uh, the original timetable said six to eight weeks, so... Uh, it's likely that he will play for Belleville this upcoming weekend. He did get three points in three games in his short stint last year after coming out of college. Um, what, when can we realistically expect Colin White to be in the Senators, the Ottawa Senators lineup? I mean, as long as the injury bug keeps biting, you never know. This guy is number two on the prospect list for this team. They showed how much they believe in him, only playing him one time in the rookie tournament. 
This guy's got to come up. You got to start letting these guys come up and make an impact at the NHL level and see what they've got. And shout out to Colin White. He's injured as we all, or was injured as we all know from blocking that shot. And that's a common occurrence for the Sens. Sens are the top team in the league in blocking shots with 151. Cody Ceci leads the team with 24 block shots. Boucher loves guys that are willing to pay the price. And this is a message that's being spread through the whole team. I mean, even Colin White, as as a rookie, you're trying to stay healthy and do the best you can and show up, probably show off your offensive skills. But he's out there blocking shots and gets injured for weeks before the season even starts. So that's that's showing that all the players, even the young guys, are buying into the system. Yeah, and we heard Guy Boucher say it at the start of the show in the intros that he doesn't. his team knows that they're going to go out there and there's a way to win that game. And where there's a will, there's a way, and they're willing to block shots right now. And that's definitely been a strong point for this team. And we all know Guy Boucher loves block shots. Yeah, and we were really high on Colin White last year, especially he was so good at the World Juniors. Seven goals in seven games. Uh, add an assist to that as well. But it almost seems like with the emergence of Logan Brown, everyone seems to be uh, hopping on his bandwagon and forgetting that, that Colin White's a, a very talented player. Uh, I've heard some comparisons. Think think Mike Fisher with hands. And, of course, the, the ultimate comparison that that kind of his ceiling would be a, a Patrice Bergeron-type player, your, your two-way center. So... I feel like the there's been some discreditation of Colin White just because Logan Brown's like the new toy and and had kind of a so-so year. It's 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 the new cool thing to be excited about him. But uh, I'm really excited to watch Colin White finally in a meaningful game now with the Senators. Hey, g- good problems to have two prospects that one outshines the other one when it's when he's injured because these two both centermen they're both going to be battling for a similar position and. You know what? I've been really impressed with Logan Brown. Uh, I wasn't really high on him before the season, but he's turned things around, and I'm excited. And uh, if Colin White can be as effective as Brown has been, that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And uh, since we're already kind of talking about prospects, Drake Batherson is continuing just an unbelievable pace in the Quebec League. He leads the entire league in goals and points, and uh, he was just named the first star of the week. Yeah, this guy is unbelievable. He put up seven goals seven. this week. Seven. Seven goals. A hat trick and two overtime winners. That's unbelievable stuff. Um, just We liked him in the rookie tournament. He showed shades of being very competitive and relentless, which is a great word in the Ottawa Senators' room right now with Guy Boucher there. And we all know that he kind of went unnoticed because of his size, but then shot up like a beanstalk and now he's just putting points on the board and couldn't be happier for the kid. Yeah, his other news of the week is that he was just named to the Quebec Major Junior League team uh, for the Canada-Russia Challenge. So um, they're going west to east this year. So uh, you can watch Drake Batherson play for uh, the, I want to call it Team Canada, but it's not quite, um, just the the Q team, um, November 14th to the 16th. And they're also going to have a kid playing uh, for Team OHL in that tournament. Yeah, and let's not forget Batherson, uh, just to add another thing on there, he was the Q player of the week also. So this kid's really showing he's got what it takes, and he he's trying to develop right and leading the league in points, doing something right. Yeah, and you talked about a player being named to the O team, and that's Alex Formanton, the speedster, who had a little bit of time up, got to know the guys, had a few fun fishing trips with the boys, it looked like. But 
now he's down there and he's had two assists and 11 pims in two games played and gotten his first scrap. So we're starting to see a little bit of a uh, little scrappiness out of the speedster. boy, kid. And how about our weekly Marcus Hogberg update? Well, guys, uh, Hogberg is finally playing in the East Coast Hockey League. He's with the Brampton Beasts, as you may know, and that's Montreal's uh, East Coast affiliate. But he's not doing so great so far. Uh, but a lot of this you need to you need to take with a grain of salt because that Brampton Beast team is awful. They're they're zero for four. And are we really that surprised that the Habs East Coast League East uh, Coast Hockey <laughs> League team is bad? No. The answer is no. We're not that surprised. <laughs> it it trickles down the uh, the awfulness. But anyways, Hogberg, he's got two losses to start. 4.05 goals against average and a 0.887 save percentage. Rough numbers, but it's an adjust. It's an adjustment going from playing hockey in Sweden to playing hockey in North America. And people may not give that enough credit to goaltenders because they think, oh, it's just stopping the puck. It's a it's a general universal thing. What changes through continents? But the game changes. You you don't read the game the same as you would before, especially with the new rink and just the different style of play. But also, good news is the Habs goalie prospect, McNiven, is even worse than Hogberg. He's got a 4.59 <laughs> goals against average and a 0.864 save percentage. So hopefully, even though that's the Habs team, hopefully Hogberg can knock him out and be the starter. Uh, another pair of defensemen who we were really high on in the rookie tournament. Um, continuing to develop with the Belleville Senators, Thomas Shabbat with three points in five games down there. Second on the team with 17 shots on goal in those five games. Uh, who's first, you ask? Oh, yeah, Christian Yarosh. How about that? 18 shots on goal for him. Uh, also, I uh, played one more game. He's played six games, three goals. He scored his first professional goal last weekend. It was an absolute rocket. Yeah, laser beam off the post. Yeah, so that was uh, that was good to see there. Uh, really showing the depth on defense. We preach and preach and preach, and with the Sens forward lines, it might be time to make a move. I, Ross, I think it's definitely time to make a move. And this this forward core has needed a boost badly. And last year, with the additions of Stahlberg and Burrows, it it helped, but it was almost like two decent players didn't quite equal up to one good player. And it just didn't work quite the way the Sens had hoped. Yeah, imagine how many high fives would be flying around and how many hugs Dorian would get if he pulled in a guy that had a little more caliber to him than Alex Burrows. Yeah, especially they could almost just fill the Bobby Ryan role for now and then Bobby Ryan becomes... An, an extended edition once he's back from uh, from his broken finger. Uh, last weekend, we or last week or last pod, we didn't have Brendan Purdy with us. He's back on the board, and that means another episode of Prairie Fire. It's time for Prairie Fire. Boys, it's good to be back. This time, I did not even walk all the way back home to Saskatchewan, but I was celebrating that big 30-7 to win for the Riders over the Stamps, clinching a playoff spot. Are you talking about the CFL? Cut to more pressing matters here, boys. First one this week, going to Chris Parliament. Buddy, what has been more impressive through the first nine games of the season? Steven Stamkos with his 18 points. Were Nikita Kucherov and Alex Ovechkin each popping in 10 goals? Well, I mean, you look at guys like Alex Ovechkin, and he's just, he's a lethal scorer. And then you see that Kucherov is doing it as well, and we talked about him kind of being a Hoffman type with just a laser beam of a shot. 
But to see Stamkos come back after missing what he did and still have that extra step, that extra gear, and to just be putting up points like he is, I, I get it, he's playing on a line with a guy that's been scoring a bunch, but wow, just unbelievable resiliency. I gotta say it's more impressive for Stamkos. Love the Canadian guys, gotta stay on him. Don't, don't sleep on Stamkos. Everybody's kind of forgotten about him, but... In my opinion, he's a top 20 player easily. Just, he has his injury problems and that hurts him, but he is lethal. And if he's healthy, look out. Well, yeah, and everyone was wondering, the the Stamkos, he's a former Richard winner, and then Kucherov comes out and scores 40. You wonder, how are these guys going to play together? And there's your answer. Stamkos is now just a straight-up playmaker. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, question number two. For our host of the most, Roscoe. Which of these teams that has gotten un out to an underwhelming start has the best chance to turn their season around? Not Montreal. <laughs> so, I, I guess we'll omit the Montreal Canadiens. So, out of these two teams, the New York Rangers or the Edmonton Oilers? I've been, I've been preaching all fall long that the New York Rangers are not a good hockey team anymore. Agreed. I'm really sorry to tell the Rangers. Actually, no, I'm not after that playoff series. I'll tell you <laughs> ten times over. Uh, just an aging defense. I know they added Kevin Shattenkirk there, but uh, Mark Stahl's got cement blocks in his skates at times, and I uh, just can't keep up with the play, and uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Mika Zibanejad, but he's not a true number one center. Um, Derek Stepan going to Arizona, I, th I think that's a bigger loss than a lot of people are, are um, giving credit to. And then you have aging wingers. Zuccarello's not getting any younger, not getting any faster. And same can be said for Rick Nash. Yeah, and did you see McDonough in overtime against the Penguins? That's your captain and you bobble it when who's in front of the net? Kessel and Malkin. <laughs> hey, at least he was on the ice for overtime. Brutal. <laughs> All right, Killer, last but not least, which one of these stats is crazier to you? And this is the best part. You already alluded to one of these earlier in the show. So is it crazier to see Michael Neuvert leading the league in goals against average and save percentage or Dustin Brown leading the lead in plus minus? The Dustin Brown run is really surprising, but when if he's playing, I'm not sure what line he plays on, but if he's playing top six in LA, he's probably with some great players. So that one doesn't shock me that much. Neuvirth is really surprising. This is a guy that, given small sample sizes, his numbers are actually really good. But to be the best in the league, I was not expecting that, I'll be honest. Yeah, but I mean, he, he has split starts, so that's only in three games. So I you, that's where you kind of lo lose me. Because but still, his numbers are so good in those three. I mean, Brian Elliott played five games, though. And uh, to be fair, not as good of numbers. But uh, I, I do agree with what you were saying as well. Neuvert just consistently seems to put up good numbers all the way back to his time with the Capitals. All right, guys. Time for one last quick one where we can go around the horn here. So obviously, everybody knows Andreas Thanasiu. He got signed by the Red Wings. The tail end of last week, they had to ship out Riley Shan and Ryan Spruill to make the cap space for him and got back Scott Wilson from the Pens and an ex-senator, Matt Pumple. Which one of these pickups is going to have a bigger effect, Pumple or Wilson? Are you talking on their lottery chances? Because that's uh, about what, what guys like that can bring to a lineup. I'm more interested in talking about... Uh, can you pronounce it for me? Athanasiu. Athanasiu. Yeah, no, that's what he's going to be telling Ken Hall in the summer when he signs <laughs> elsewhere. Um, the old one-year deals in RFA. I've never been a big fan of it because it just prolongs what's bound to happen the next it's year. It's a Band-Aid solution. Yeah, exactly. Or like I, I think back to another recent memory of uh, Jacob Truba being in, in a <laughs> similar situation. 
but he gets a two-year deal. It, it allows for a little more time to uh, to salt resolve your differences, uh, for lack of a better term. Well, boys, thanks for having me back. For now, I'm heading back to the pasture. I'll be back to the land of running water and electricity next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Purdy. Always a pleasure having your uh, your voice on here. Uh, that just about does it. We do want to get back a little bit to the, the Sens-Leafs game. I don't think we gave enough love to a couple unreal plays. One, if you're listening this deep in the podcast, this is where you get little gems of stats. Like Mark Stone has 24 career points in 16 games against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just torches them. Ross, I would say the TSN turning point of that game was definitely Stone's goal. Sends her up three zip. Leafs start making a a quick comeback. It's 3-2. Boucher calls a timeout. If you're watching the game, you got to see that close-up cam of Boucher. <laughs> I don't know what he was saying, but I was terrified sitting on the couch. So those guys really got an earful, earful, and it worked. Seven seconds after the goal and the timeout, right off the face-off. Steal, snipe, Sally, the Mark Stone story. Who else but Mark Stone? And here's the thing that I love about that play, guys, is usually when someone's coming in on a breakaway... And they're all alone. They have this one one deke or one move in their mind. And they're going to they're gonna go for it 100%. And that's it. Stone did his thing. But he stuck with it. He stuck to the net. He didn't peel out quickly. Or he didn't like check to see what happened. He just stuck with it and buried it. Great on Mark Stone for that. Can't say enough good stuff about the guy. And then Chris, Derek Broussard. How, how can you say about this guy? 10 points in 8 games start the year. 2 goals and an assist against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable stuff. We've been talking about Mike Hoffman's shot all day, and that one was unbelievable. But I quickly want to get back to these bounce-back goals because this is a trend that I've noticed over the last little while with the Sens. And it kind of got me thinking again earlier this season when Martin Furk, or however you pronounce that weird last name, scored in the last few minutes for Detroit, and then Uncle Dion answered 43 seconds later to tie it up to send it to OT. And then in Game 7... Of last year against the Penguins, the fateful Game 7, Chris Kunitz scored to open it up in the second period. 20 seconds later, who but Stonesy pops it. 20 seconds, guys. In the third period, Schultz scores, and less than three minutes later, the Sens tied up. This team just has a knack for just getting back on the board quickly, and I don't know if it's because other teams let up and the Sens are just trying to be that relentless team that Guy Boucher's uh, preaching, but it's it's a trend now, and I'm liking it. Talk, talking about Broussard, uh, I think he's been the Sens' best player so far. He's been incredible. Six goals, four assists. He's a plus 10, second in the league. He's tied with a bunch of other guys at plus 10, right behind Brown and Kopitar. And that goal, that the first one that he scored, the two-on-one in the Leafs game, that's what I like to see. There's certain guys on the Sens' team, Turris, Broussard, and Hoffman, where if they're on a two-on-one, I would actually rather see them shoot it because they have such a great shot than go for that pass because the pass might not work, but the shot, at least you're getting a chance. You might get a rebound, or if you can shoot as well as brass shot there, bar down, no chance for the tendy. And coming up next week, I promise to get it right. I made a terrible mistake last week. I you said blew the, it. I did, I did. I absolutely blew it. I said the Sens and Leafs were playing on Friday night. And I almost wasn't able to watch the game because of that. I really thought it. So I wasn't lying to you guys. I lied to myself. But this week, on Tuesday, we mentioned the 
Ottawa Senators are hosting the Los Angeles Kings. Thursday, the Senators are hosting the Philadelphia Flyers. Going back-to-back this Friday they play, I promise. Uh, They're in New Jersey to take on the Devils, who will not have played in a full week. And then Monday, the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, boy. I got nothing to say about the Montreal Canadiens, but uh, good luck to them and their families. Uh, For Brandon Piller and Chris Parliament, I'm Ross Levitan. Thank you to Brandon Purdy. We'll see you next week. Go Sens, go. Don't